The Treasure of the Ancient King Part 1 The Forgotten Prince Chapter One I was travelling in the last days of autumn, a time when a senior gentleman should be nestled in at home with a good supply of dried fruit and firewood to see them through the winter months. Wisdom further dictates that they should stay within a half a day's ride of their father's grave in case they should suddenly die of infirmity and risk being buried by strangers in a foreign land. And yet, despite all of this, this old codger was on the road again distracting himself to oblivion. It was the most beautiful season here in temperate Ibernia, a latitude at which the sticky heat of summer persists through the darkening months, not unlike hot custard flowing over a cold slice of rum pudding. And yet, if I am honest, I had no interest to take it in as I should, a dire sin quite unbecoming of my elderly station. No, I hadn't even the thought to stop on the road south and watch the red leaves tumbling from the beech trees nor had I sense of mind to collect the chestnuts on the pavement and to roast them over my campfire at breakfast. I rose too early every morning. So early I missed the purple sunrise over the Cape of Peace from Baymore's seat. I travelled too hard each day, arriving far too late each night, too late at the inn to ever sup on Judhan's famous pumpkin cakes, dipped in cream, and far too late to chat with my fellow travellers before bed, as an older man ought, on a long and lonesome journey, without any companions. But I had other things on my mind. So it was that I made the eleven-day journey to Juttheim, that fateful season, with a kind of nervous anticipation. The treasure that I was so feverishly guarding at this time, and which consumed all of my conscious attention, was stacked precariously upon the hind legs of the trusty pack-horse I had hired, a sturdy mare named Merisi. I was riding on that same horse when I was halted at a fence near Rillip. A locked gate barred our progress but there was a small stile available on the lip of a nearby hillock. Come, Merisi, I said to her, riding her off the path and towards the gap in the fence. We must be over this and down to the city limits by nightfall, I chided. She calmly refused me, coming to a gentle stop in front of the small hurdle. What say you? I added. But since horses cannot speak, I was forced to dismount, come alongside her, and see what the trouble must be myself. I examined the opening, and judged that it was by no means an impediment to such an expensive horse. Merisi, I said. My dear, I see no reason to stop, and we have come so far already. I am too old for these guessing games. She eyed me with forbearance, as my old mother would do, for she knew I was speaking nonsense, deranged by lack of sleep. I really can't be doing with this insolence, my dear. I paid generously for the best pack horse in all the underthorpe. And you are it, I argued. You know that I am in a rush to deliver my expensive cargo. One pays for such services because one desires a prompt delivery, I continued loudly. One pays because one is in the service of kings, and kings will not be kept waiting. At that moment, a farmer, carrying a large rake, turned the corner and began strolling towards us. 
angry enough not to let the issue slide, and yet not angry enough to gladly let myself appear to be conversing with animals, I engaged Merisi in a polite game of tug-of-war, a silent play to which she resisted firmly and resolutely. A fine specimen, sir, said the farmer, coming closer and inspecting my steed, rubbing his palms against the flesh of its hind legs. Won't hard weather nor a weight of ten gold bullion, I say, will turn one like this from its track once it have its root in mind, he said. I knows a good pack horse when I sees it. Thank you, sir, I answered dryly. Good day. Good day to you too, sir, he replied politely, turning south at the fence and walking away in the direction of Rillip. The two of us waited, as if we were partners, having a domestic spat in a public place, until the intruder was out of earshot. She continued to stare at me mournfully, while I glowered on. Southwards, smoke was rising, filling the evening air with a rich smell of burning malts and hop-grass water. It could be none other than the bread-gorge tavern of Rillip, an institution of quality. Let us make no mistake. But my interest was eastwards, the road to Judheim, worn dead by heavy traffic and grey with puddles from the autumn rain. With hindsight, one could hardly blame the horse. She had been nothing if not dutiful up to this point rising early to trick until late in the evening, day after day. And as dusk approached, it was evident that no one cared to travel this road by night. Our fellow travellers had dwindled to nothing, as each had headed for lodgings in the nearest village. Come, let us strike up a bargain together, Merisi, I pleaded. Is there really nothing I can offer you to continue? I asked, tickling her ear between my thumb and forefinger. I'll even walk a bit of the way if you like. I offered, patting my belly in a conciliatory manner. I know my saddle can leave quite an impression. But, the discerning traveller as she was, my empty concessions fell on dead ears. She merely turned her head again towards the public house and stables at the bottom of the hill, making that ultimatum terribly clear to me. She wanted a rest. It was upon my second look at the bread gorge, and at the silhouette of a small crowd bathing in the orange haze of several lanterns, that I began to recall its peculiar charms. Even the farmer whom we had just met could be seen leaning his rake against a wall and joining a circle of stout gentlemen. They were dipping their cups in an open cask of ale and sipping them contentedly. The Bread Gorge Tavern, then, was a familiar sight. A home from home to a merchant like me, trading in this neck of the woods. A place where you could guarantee a safe and cosy bed, and if you needed it, a friendly contact to fill you in, or even get you something important. A sanctuary in a cold and lonely world, even, I reflected to myself. But the thought of putting up such a lazy, unrepentant ass at the courtesy of this jolly establishment made my blood boil. I didn't pay so much in the first place to have you kept each night in the lap of luxury, you impudent donkey! I exploded, kicking the fence with my steel-shodded boots, making it rattle loudly. Merisi could only offer a whinny to disparage my tantruming behaviour. Unable to hold back my irritation, I slapped her hard across the flank, causing her to recoil a few steps away from me. She then began wandering away, while I sat myself on a rock and sulked, and rested my aching thighs. I cannot excuse such unpleasant behaviour towards dear, innocent Merisi, but I can at least try to explain it. You see, I was in the position of having gambled considerable capital on a tantalising report from a friend of mine working among the royal caterers. 
As the rumour had it, a saddler in Judheim had been commissioned to fashion regalia for the royal stables, and it had come with only one express condition, that the saddles must be made from jackalope leather. Therefore, at much effort, I had negotiated to meet with an associate in the Guild of Master Tanners to find someone who would pay me a price that reflected the current demand for my sought-after merchandise. But that was tomorrow. If the acquisition went ahead, the reward was unfathomable. If not, well, it is enough to say that my comfortable retirement hung squarely on the success of the venture. Because of this hold-up, I would be forced to put down yet more capital, hire a dispatch rider first thing in the morning, and rearrange my meeting till later in the day, perhaps after nightfall. I could not guarantee how such a request would be taken. I am in the service of kings, and kings will not be kept waiting, I whimpered to myself, aghast. I took one more look at the pub. I listened to the friends comforting each other in their woes, to the hubbub of revellers carousing, to travellers from far-off places sharing news and political opinions. I must say, the friendliness of it all, and the memories of names and faces from a distant youth, allowed a tiny flame of hope to set light in my heart, even in the dark travesties of my current misfortune. Perhaps I should find an ally there, my fevered mind suggested to me. An old chum, a sparkle of friendship, a relic of past affections? But it was the thought of my precious shipment which finally roused me from my despond. I could see my wares were still on my horse, but also that they were hanging off her back precariously, for Merisi was meandering between the streets and houses outside the inn, and threatening to throw my livelihood into a ditch at any given moment. Goodness me, it would have been a fitting end to a thankless burden. Nevertheless, it was a fate I could hardly afford. Thus, I dragged myself to my feet, and made chase in the direction of the inn, while grimacing intensely, for such was my exhaustion and general senility that an exertion of this kind could not have been more unwelcome. Suitably enough, it was this energetic reversal, unforeseen both in mode and motivation, which would mark the first step along a still lengthier expedition, one that was also entirely unanticipated at the time. At writing this sentence, I enigmatically refer, of course, to the Odyssey, which is to be fully explained in the subsequent chapters indeed, in the greater part of this book. I must admit, then, that I am quite deliberate in inviting the reader to imagine what conceivable happenstance could have provided the necessary incentive to divert me from my original itinerary, considering the eagerness with which I had desired to complete it. Truly, the author himself could not have guessed what would await him beyond that painful act of athleticism, running dog-tired towards the bread-gorge tavern as the last rays of evening sunshine falling upon the road to Judheim, near Rillip. This excerpt was read by D.A. Clark, the author of the piece. Please note that this is a draft and as such does not represent the quality of the final version. If you would like to find more excerpts, please visit anchor.fm forward slash david 908.